Um, let me pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this word of yours, and uh, we pray that you will shape our hearts by it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, I've got questions for you, very taxing questions, and I'm asking you which of the following items you would prefer, okay? So we have on uh, the first thing here, we have not these, just expensive clothing, let's call it. Um, we have the latest mobile phone, we have an umbrella, and we have a brand new set of expensive golf clubs. Okay, which of those, if I offered you any of those, which would you take right now? Yeah, uh, see, you guys are all so smart. I'll take an umbrella. I bet you wouldn't. If I actually had them here, I guarantee you wouldn't take an umbrella. You'd be like, I'll have the new phone, thank you. Or if you're like, anyone like golf except for me in the building? So no one's taking the clubs. They'll stay with me. Um, who would take the fashionable clothes, the expensive clothing? Anybody? Yeah, a few honest people on that front as well. I think more than three of you would, but that's okay. But if you were stranded today on a rainy, dismal day in the middle of the countryside, 50 kilometers from the nearest cell reception, mobile reception tower, what would you have then? In that case, you'd take the umbrella, wouldn't you? At 8 o'clock, they're like, nah, I'd take the golf club so I could whack the snakes when they came for me. Okay, well, all right, okay, well, true. However, we might take the umbrella. Let's move on to a slightly easier one, I think. If you could live in a waterside mansion, a renovated shed, a country manor, or a city penthouse. What would you choose? Let's hands up for this one. Hands up. Who'd live in the waterside mansion, waterfront mansion? A few of you would. Who would live in the renovated shed? Oh, come off the ground. You would not. Okay. Who, you get to choose any of these and you choose the shed. Who would live in the um, country mansion? And who would have the city uh, penthouse apartment? All right. So we've got a fair spread there. I didn't count, so I don't know which was most popular. What if, though? What if I told you that in all cases except for the shed... In all these three, you're sharing the house with a couple of COVID-19 patients. Where are you going to live now? At uh, the other end of the house. So, I'll go in the left wing, thank you. That's fine. No, I'll lock it up and that's okay. Yeah, smart. I didn't think of that one, so we'll get rid of that slide too. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> I should have thought this through better. Okay. Um, everyone's too brainy for me. Okay. You get to pick one of these people to aspire towards, or not to be, but to sort of be something like them, okay? You've got the um, entrepreneur who's uh, made it in, in wealth. You've got the successful parents who uh, are also uh, borderline uh, TV stars. You've got the social media influencer right here. And you've got the person living in the slums in Nairobi. Which of those lifestyles would you choose if I forced you to choose one? Hands up for the entrepreneur. One, two. Hands up for the um, successful parents who are borderline movie stars. Hands up for the social media influencer. Hands up if you haven't put your hand up yet. Because I can build a slum right now for you if that's what you're going to choose. That's not hard to do. Hands up if you'd prefer to be the slums of Nairobi. Probably no one, right? What if, though? What if this one here? Think about it now. What if you have those choices, okay? Except the thing is that you can only be a Christian if you choose this one, all right? What would you choose then? Now, how many of us, when we're honest with ourselves, will go, I don't know if that's worth it. We all know that's the right answer to say, yeah, okay, well, that's fine. Jesus is worth it. I'd do that if that's what it costs. But how many of us are honestly willing to say deep down in our hearts, without a doubt, we'd jump? Did Did we hesitate when we thought about it? Is knowing Jesus worth more than fame and fortune and beauty and power? Because that's the question we're getting asked in Mark chapter 14 today. We've been looking at Mark and we've seen Jesus come along. He's challenged the socially acceptable ways of life. He's challenged the religious ideas of the time. Um, the, the, the nation had their ideas about what they were going to do to worship God. And what did Jesus say about the temple? It's going to get knocked down. Forget about it. It's gone. Okay. 
Last week we saw his challenge to us to think about the bigger picture. What, are you going to be ready for Jesus' return? And today he thinks about living a ready life. What, what value do we place on following Jesus? And uh, we start off um, with a couple, of, well, a couple of groups of people who place no value on following Jesus whatsoever. Let's meet them. Chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, if you're following along or playing games on your phone, it looks the same to me, so that's fine. Um, it was now, or if you've got a hardcover Bible, that's even better. I'm very impressed by those people. But chapter 14, verse 1, he says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So the first people we meet are the Pharisees, the chief priests and the scribes, and they've got no time for Jesus, okay? They have no regard for him whatsoever. He means nothing to them because they want to kill him. Um, just a quick question for you. Who answered in the Kahoot, the one that said scribes on that question of the four groups? Did anyone answer that? Because didn't we just meet the scribes here? Are you bitter that you got your answer wrong? I'm sure there were scribes, but the, yeah, the chief priests and the Pharisees is another way of saying the, uh, sorry, the Pharisees and Sadducees is another way of saying the chief priests and the scribes, right? So they're the same actual two groups there. They're not different. Um, just for clarification, if everyone was confused on that front. Um, but these people don't value Jesus at all. They want to kill him, but they're scared because it's Passover time. Hundreds and thousands of people were coming into Jerusalem at this time of year. They came to celebrate that great event that we just heard about in the psalm, the Exodus, where God saves his people. Remember, God said to them, get a lamb and have a big roast lamb dinner. Paint the blood of the lamb on the door and I will pass over your house and your lives will be spared. The lamb's life in place of yours. And what would they eat? Well, they eat a, lamb, a dinner of roast lamb and unleavened bread. Is that because Jesus was opposed to yeast? Why unleavened bread? Yeah? Yep, but why? Why unleavened bread? Take unleavened bread with you, why? The yeast takes a bit of time, doesn't it? To prove through the bread. This is a, eat it in haste, be ready to go, right? It's a symbol, the unleavened bread. And of course, this, it reminds them of God's great act in saving his people, a lamb dies in their place. Um, the symbol's unmissable here, isn't it? Jesus has come to die in our place. It's Passover, they're not going to kill him because of the crowds, but what happens? They kill him just about that time anyway. Um, but we get to that later in Mark, don't we? But it's a plot of murder, which is ironic because these are supposed to be the moral do-gooders. And yet it shows how deep the evil runs in the, in the human heart, doesn't it? I wonder, does anyone know what these things are? Correct. What about the things in the fingers? The, uh, it's a screw and a something else. Has anyone got some of these at home? What are they? Ikea bits, well done, nailed it. These are leftover Ikea bits, and here's a few more of them. More leftover Ikea bits. Now, who has some of these at home? What use do they have in your household? For when an Ikea bit breaks. They feel, correct, That's, they don't have any use at all, do they? That's how these chief priests and scribes are viewing Jesus. Worthless, good for nothing. A leftover piece of Ikea. They want to kill him. They're not going to. But I wonder if you would be shocked if I said to you, people today have that same view of Jesus. And here's where we've got to stop and challenge ourselves and say, what's my view of Jesus? Because some people view him in that kind of leftover Ikea piece way. Yes, there was some value to that piece when you started building the Ikea product. You got to the end of it and you're like, these don't really fit anything else in my house. I'll keep them just in case. But 
if the IKEA thing breaks, more likely it's not because the screw is bad, it's because the shelf cracked. I've got to buy a new one anyway. In which case I get more IKEA bits. And so what you do is you put them in a bottom shelf and you forget about them. They're excess to requirements. Okay, you ignore them. Maybe you save them for a later date. Maybe you think they'll be useful if life gets, gets difficult. And that's how people think about Jesus. I'm not going to worry too much about him. I won't take him too seriously. I'll pursue other things instead. The ultimate example is the Pharisees, and they want to actually kill him. But we get a different example as we go on. Verse 3 and onwards. We, we meet a lady who comes with a uh, large alabaster flask of pure nard. That's a perfume, okay? Um, a very expensive perfume. It's a perfume that's sealed in a jar, and once you crack the jar, you can access the perfume. However, by cracking the jar, the perfume is then must be used, right? That's the point of it. And so to have a large jar of it, what do you think it would be for in general? It may have been a family heirloom because it has great value, a year's worth of wages, all right? Maybe it was being saved for a relative's funeral because when someone died, they were buried, and you would anoint their body with some sort of perfume because the smell was not always pleasant um, after some time. Anyway, for whatever reason, this lady has perfume. It's worth about a year's worth of wages. She breaks the jar, pours it over his head, and the disciples say what? What a waste, they say. What do they say you could have done with this? You could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And Jesus says to them, you know, you guys have got it wrong. But just let's just have a bit of sympathy for them for a second. Because remember the rich young man came to Jesus, right? And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, goes on. And what's the final thing he gets told? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's what he gets told, right? So the disciples have been listening. Isn't this encouraging? Because we often think they're bumble-headed fools. And they get, but they, they've been listening and they've heard it. They're like, what you do is you sell and give to the poor. So this lady comes along and they're like, what are you doing, lady? We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, don't be silly. She's done a beautiful thing here and she'll be remembered forever for this. And they're sitting back going, well, how does this work, Jesus? And we might think the same way too, right? How does it work? Like for Christians, okay? God gives us great wealth in this country, okay? We might not think we're that wealthy, but we, we, we're doing quite well um, on the world stage, okay? How should we use the wealth that we have? Because some people feel very guilty if they buy anything, all right? Um, anyone bought a new phone this year? No, no, no one has. A few people, oh, okay, Arlen has, and Jordan has. Okay, good. Um, some people feel guilty. I can't buy a new phone because God wouldn't like that because I could use that money elsewhere. What about holidays? How much can a Christian spend on a holiday? You don't know? You don't get the answer wrong? Christy, you don't know either? Yeah, we shouldn't spend too much on holidays. Yeah, exactly, because it's there in the back of your mind. Well, what's responsible here? With, you know, what do we do with this money? Um, it's a, you know, it sounds like a stupid question when you ask it, but when you think about it, you're like, well, how much can we spend? Is it based on percentage? Is that how you do it? Or? Because the question is difficult, isn't it? Um, and we have to remind ourselves that we can always argue that we should spend less and give it to those in need. But the thing is, God isn't a God of restraint for the sake of restraint. Okay, God is the God of both and. The God of both and. Look at this verse in Ecclesiastes. He says there's a time to keep and a time to cast away. All right? So sometimes, you know, you, you, you keep. How do you figure out which is which? Well, ultimately, God knows the answer, right? That's the, the simple thing. Um, 
But you're going to know in, in moments of pure honesty whether you're being generous and sharing with others. Okay, That's the first thing you're going to know. But secondly, God is a God of both ends. It's not like do this or do that. No, he's saying, yes, I want you to enjoy what I've given you while at the same time sharing it with others. Okay, The God of both ends. So you can understand the disciples' confusion, um, but it's because it's not either or, it's both hands. We've got to come back here. We look at this lady. She's done this beautiful thing. She's anointing Jesus for his burial. The stench of death that would consume, she is putting this beautiful perfume on. And it just triggered in my memory, this verse from 2 Corinthians, um, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. It's telling us about how we're going to be looked at as we carry the message of Jesus out there. Some are going to say, this is a, a, a deathly, stenchy message. You're saying there's a crucified God. That's ridiculous. Others will say, tell me more. I want to know more. This lady's come forward in the, you know, make it beautiful sense, and she'll be remembered forever, we are told. She will be. She's in the Bible. Um, And there she is. Now, there's this guy here who um, is a jeweler. He's Johnny is his name. He's a jeweler in Michigan, and he's decided that with COVID going on, he's closing his shop. He's done, okay? But he's not done with his business altogether. He has about a million dollars worth of um, rings and trinkets and um, antique coins, that sort of thing, different jewels of, of, of various kinds. He's decided that he's going to start a new business, and his new business is a treasure hunting business. So he's going to take what he has, and he's going to bury it in various parts of Detroit. And then you can sign up to do his treasure hunt, in which case he will give you some clues, and you can go and try and dig up the treasure. He thinks it'll take about a week, and you'll be able to dig up the first part of the treasure. So he's going to bury a million dollars worth of stuff, and you get to pay for the right to go and try and find Johnny's treasure. So the first treasure quest starts on the 15th of August, and he's sold tickets over the radio, and he's uh, selling them at 49 bucks a pop. Sold out immediately, and people are digging for something like five grand of treasure the first time. And it's going to go up, and the ticket prices will go up as well. Hearing that story, it made me think, some people will do anything, anything, to get their hands on a little bit more cash, right? Um, you probably have that friend who you know is like that. They'll do whatever it takes. You know, you go out for um, a meal, and I really apologize if I pe- offend anyone mortally right now, but you go out for, for dinner, and then you get to the end of the meal, and someone's like, let's split the bill, right? And everyone's share is going to be like $27 or something, let's say. And so people are throwing like $30 out there because you don't carry 27 well, not normally. And there's that one person who always volunteers to collect the money because that means that they can pay a little bit less out of their own pocket. You know, they'll do anything for a bit more cash. Maybe that's an unfair caricature because I've offended all of you now. I don't know, but some people will do anything. Well, Judas is like that, but to the max, isn't he? He will sell out his leader for cash. We see that there in Mark 14. He goes to the chief priests and sells Jesus out for money in verse 11. They promise to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. What's Jesus worth to Judas? He is a payday. And sadly, you look around the world and you see that there are people who are just like that today. Who see Jesus as a walking paycheck. This is a, um, a person I won't name. Um, but he has a tele-evangelism ministry and a radio ministry and a website ministry. And um, you, can, you can listen in to him at any time you want. Maybe don't, but um, you can. Uh, in 2018, he decided that he needed his fourth private jet, saying that Jesus wouldn't be caught riding a donkey today. And he said that God had told him to buy a Falcon 7X for a cool $54 million. 
But, he says, he claims God also told him, I didn't ask you to pay for it. I asked you to believe in it. And so by believing in it, he then asked all his listeners to pay for it for him and to buy him this $54 million jet, his fourth jet. Now, does that sound right to you? It doesn't sound right to me. There's always two sides to every story. Who knows if he's malicious or not? I don't know. But it seems to me like this guy is talking about Jesus for the sake of personal gain. Wouldn't you say that? It sounds fair. And it's quite easy to see that in that sort of, um, that, that, that kind of uh, arena, isn't it? It's easy to see it there. But what about people who aren't in the preaching gig? How do they exploit Jesus for personal gain? Because it gets done, doesn't it? How do you think it happens? Is it the person who says, well, look, I'll, 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 I'll chip in for Jesus if I can't do something else, if I don't have anything of my own to worry about first? Is it the person who says, well, I know that God wants me to be you know, someone who's responsible and committed to my family, but my job's more important right now. I'll get to them later. The list goes on, doesn't it? You can just see how it goes on. Oh, I can't really think about serving at church because I've got other things to do with my work. No one can tell you exactly where your heart is at, but you'll know that yourself, right? And I think God's message for us should be clear here with Judas. We've got to be careful not to pursue money at the expense of all else. Because it can't fulfill you. Not in the present, not in eternity. But Judas gives up on Jesus for cash. He sees Jesus now. He must know who Jesus is. But he gives up on him for cash. Now, they're at the Passover meal, right? Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Who's he at dinner with? The 12, right? The 12 closest followers. He's at dinner with the 12. He says, one of you will betray me. At that stage, Judas must know that he's caught, right? He's seen Jesus. Jesus can, like, you know, discern what people are thinking, combat all the, do miracles. He must know. The gig's up, right? But like the rest of them, he's like, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Putting that sort of fake pretense. And Jesus says, it's the one who's dipping bread in the bowl with me. You can just picture Judas taking his hand back, you know what I mean? But yet, he, he still thinks that he can actually confront God and lie to Jesus' face. He thinks that Jesus doesn't really know what's going on. I, I actually find it comforting though, don't you? Because here's Jesus. He knows what's going to happen. This is not some sort of terrible tragedy that's going on. It's part of the plan. It's all there. Yes, it's terrifying, as he says, to see the outcome for those opposed. Woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. All right? That's a tragic thing. Uh, um, but the beautiful thing is that Jesus knows the plan. He's going to lay down his life for our sake. And as he goes on, it actually shows you how much Jesus values you. You see that there in verses 22 and onwards? They're eating. He takes bread. He breaks it. He says, it's my body. He takes the cup. This is my blood. We know, we, we, we go through this routine, don't we? We know what it is. But have we thought about how significant this is? At the Passover meal, the lamb sacrificed. Here's Jesus making it about himself. His body broken, his blood shed to bring us forgiveness. This is Jesus' view of you. How valuable are you? Valuable enough for the God of the universe to lay down his life and die. And we feel different things about that, don't we? Some of us uh, on the extreme feel, well, I'm still unworthy. I'm imperfect. I'm a failure. Others think, you know, we've got a bit of an opinion of ourselves. And we think, well, that's right. Of course he should do that for me because I'm competent and reliable. And I'm a real boon for the kingdom. We've got to be very careful, don't we? We shouldn't think too lowly of ourselves. And we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. 
Because Jesus sees you as precious. It's not because of what you do or don't do. It's because he wants a restored relationship with you. He knows full well the part we've all played in breaking this world. And he offers forgiveness for the times that we thought we could get to heaven on our own, the folly of that, for the times that we think we're not worthy. He offers forgiveness for that, for the part we play. He sees you as precious, as valuable. And so the question then becomes, how much do we value Jesus who lays down his life for us? Is it worth it to follow him, considering all he went through for our sake? What distracts us? Cash like Judas? Do we view him as spare parts like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, put him in a drawer. If we, if we need him, we'll get him out. Otherwise, we'll just put him back there. Maybe if something breaks, I'll use him. Or do we think he's worth giving up everything for? And being extravagant and brave in following him and sharing the good news. The good news that is a beautiful smell to those who will be saved. Because we see here in Mark 14 that knowing Jesus is worth more than anything. And this woman... Her story will be told for all time, we see. Verse 9. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And we think, that would be good for me, wouldn't it, if someone told my story? No, no, that's not the point, is it? It's already happened. And we have this message to share with others. Because Jesus gives his own life for our sake, we've got to commit ourselves to him. Let me pray that we'll do that. Dear God, we do thank you for your son who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray that you might help us remember how much you value us. And then in return, not to view our relationship with you as spare parts or a means to get ahead in this world, but rather help us to serve you wholeheartedly in Jesus' name. Amen.